Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm pretty excited. I am here today joined by Sean Pronger. So NHL alumni and um, and the author of a book uh, that I found really, really inspiring. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Really good. I mean, that's the first time I've heard the word inspiring, uh, but I like it. Yeah. <laughs> like um, well, I will say I was going to save this for later, but um, one of the things I noticed immediately in your book is it's extremely self-deprecating. Is that the the humor is very self-deprecating? Is that fair to say? I, I would agree with that. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if it's a defense mechanism, so no one else can make fun of me. Uh, I make fun of myself first, but you know, I think when you have a career like I did, you have to be able to you know make fun of yourself and uh, it'd be a little bit lighthearted because if you take things too seriously, especially if you take yourself too seriously, it's going to be a long season or a long life. Cause uh, you know, like, the joke's not lost on me. So I try to make fun of myself. It's like, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's about trying to have a, you know, a good time and, and, and uh, enjoy, enjoy life. And so you got to find the, 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 uh, the amusing parts of it. And so I try to, I try to do that, especially looking back. I don't yeah. that. It, was, um, it was actually really fun to write. Uh, and then, you know, at, at the same time, make fun of myself. So how many years were you, cause you played college, uh, right. Yeah. And then you played, um, you know, AHL, NHL and stuff like that. So how many years did your kind of professional um, career span? Uh, I was 11 years of uh, professional hockey. Okay. Wow. So, um, in, five, in five different leagues. Yeah. Yeah. And um, actually I ran into a guy, I was in Jasper a couple of weeks ago uh, for an event and I ran into a guy from, from Winnipeg and he was expecting me to make fun of him because uh, he's like, everyone makes fun of me when I say I'm from Winnipeg. And uh, I say, well, I haven't spent enough time there to make fun of people from Winnipeg. And I also spent a lot of my life in Edmonton. I'm assuming they're pretty similar. Um, and I happen to like Edmonton. Um, but that was one thing that really struck me is that um, you really spoke highly of, of Winnipeg in that part of your career. I loved it. I love playing Winnipeg. And I think maybe it was because I, you know, played in the U S for so long. It was just refreshing to get back to Canada. It was like all about hockey all the time. And yeah. I loved it. I, the, you know, the Manitoba Moose, they ran that team, like an NHL team. It was really fun to be a part of. Uh, my first stint there was in the uh, international league, which is a little bit older guys are, you know, it's not a bunch of kids running around. It's like an older league and, you play in, you know, good cities on the road. It's a little, a little bit closer to being treated like an NHL player. Right. Uh, Boost ran it like an NHL team. It was awesome. I, I loved it. The people of Winnipeg were great. And I would say, like, Winnipeg has got a, you know, like, a, great restaurants. I mean, it's, I mean, it, I know people make fun of it, but it doesn't, it, I don't think it needs, I mean, other than it being cold as shit there. Right. And flat, uh, it's got a lot to offer. Uh, 100%. You know, I mean, you're talking to a guy coming from Dryden, so. <laughs> <laughs> and that I was going to say, cause that's where I was going to start off is you're from Dryden, Ontario. So that's how, that's how you and I have connected is through. So my business partner, Bill Robinson also grew up in Dryden. Um, maybe just talk about that. What does, what does growing up in Dryden, Ontario look like? Yeah, it looks like freezing cold. Uh, no, I mean, I look back to my childhood with like nothing but fond memories. And I know, you know, part of it is you just don't know any better when you're younger and you've ever gone anywhere. Um, but you know, our group of friends, I mean, all, you know, winter came and it was game on. All we did was play hockey, whether it was street hockey, whether it was in my driveway on the street or at the outdoor rink. Uh, Chris and I would play in the basement. I mean, it was hockey all the time. Um, you know, I just, 
if you didn't like hockey, it would be a tough, it would be a long, <laughs> cold winter. I mean, you better be good at ice fishing or have all the tools for ice fishing because uh, there was not a lot to do, but, you know, it was more than enough for me. And I loved it. I look back and think, I wish I wish my kids had the opportunity to, to grow up there, even though we went back this past winter. Um, and so they got to experience 40 below. Yeah. And my, my daughter is like, Dad, thank you for moving to <laughs> California. <laughs> I, I, I love how you say it was fun. I loved it, but you had no frame of reference. So right. it's like, had you had a frame of reference, maybe you wouldn't have loved it. But um, like you said, all hockey all the time. What was cool about your book too is, so your good friend, Steve Roll, um, yeah. who you um, who, who you reference a few times in here. Um, I actually years ago played hockey with him when he lived in Calgary. Okay, yeah. And uh they had I would just kind of join the team, but they had they had their team already uh together and they had called themselves the Moose. So uh there must be, you know, some love for Winnipeg for in uh, the... well, I mean, that's where we went. You know, it was the big city. We you know, before school, like uh we'd go there and load up on school supplies and like I mean you just that was a that was a weekend way was going to Winnipeg. Yeah, that's awesome. So how long into your like when you were a kid, because um so growing up I think one of the things you, you know, you're the captain of team A and Chris is the the captain of team B, but how, how long into, I guess, growing up, did you, did you realize that NHL might be a reality for you guys? Just because um, I, I, I believe you're the first, you know, person from Dryden ever get drafted. Is that right? I, I think, I, I think that might be true. There was like, you know, like somebody that's a lot older than me uh, that may have been drafted and I think may have played a couple of games, but right. Uh, Probably, you know, you know, I got drafted in the third round, so probably the higher highest one from at that time. But for me, it wasn't necessarily. I mean, I, I always thought that you know, small, you know, we're growing up in a small town that you know we're never as good as the kids in the city and all that stuff. And and so I never really thought of it like that. I just thought like I, it would be awesome and like you know this will never happen, but it'd be amazing to play in the NHL. Um, to just looking like hey, you know, I was playing midget at Kenora. And then, you know, the, the Thunder Bay Flyers were the junior hockey team, USHL, was in Thunder Bay. That was kind of like the next step. It was like, okay, if I could make that team, okay, that's great. And then, like, I just get, like, bite-sized pieces. So, it was like, then once I get to Thunder Bay and start playing, I'm playing against guys that are getting, that are getting scholarships. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, fuck, I'm just as good as that guy. Like, I, okay, look, I, I want to get a scholarship. I mean, that was always the goal. That was probably the goal when I was growing up because uh, one of my coaches, Mike Furlong, um, played hockey at North Dakota. And so just the whole college hockey route, get education, it was appealing to me. And so part of the process was getting, you know, you got to play junior first. So I made that team and then you start playing with guys and you realize, okay, well, that guy's going to college. I could do that. And then I, you know, I got offered a scholarship. And so I went to college and then now you're playing against guys that are drafted. Like I was playing against, you know, first round picks and like, well, they're not that much fucking better. Cause like, you don't, you're kind of isolated and dry. And you don't know like totally. how good you are, how good other people are until you play against them. Um, and then you play against them, like, oh shit, well, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm maybe not as, as good, but I'm not that far off. Right. And then I got drafted by Vancouver and then it's like, oh shit, this could be real. And then, then you hear like, okay, well, if you play the American league, you can make like 75 grand. I'm like, fuck, that sounds great. <laughs> so then I think like, well, maybe I can just turn pro. And this was like little bits and pieces, but you know, I remember looking back for Chris, I mean, it was a bit different. I mean, he dominated at such a young age. Um, and I don't know if anybody realized how good he was or how good he could be until he got to junior. And then he went to junior in Stratford and was so good for that. Like he, his goal was to play in, the, in college. 
And after his first year junior, which is when he was in grade 11, he was ready for the next step, but he wasn't, he couldn't go to college because he had to graduate high school. And so that was a big thing. And uh, it was kind of funny, the conversation that we had, because I think Detroit was uh, in the OHL was drafting first, did the first pick. Yeah. And they said, Chris, we'll give you a Corvette if you agree to come to play junior hockey in Detroit. And at the time he kind of turned him down, turned down everybody. He said, listen, I'm not, I'm going to go to college. His goal was to go back to Stratford, play one more year, then, then go to college. And so he, he tell, the draft happens and Peterborough took a flyer on him in the sixth round. And then he went to Peterborough, met with the Dick Todd and the management. And then they came to Dryden and then an age, you know, his agent that he had uh, for his career came to visit him. And, and then so I remember the agent left. It's me, my dad, my mom, and Chris in the basement. And we're talking about like what, you know, what he should do. And my dad's like, well, Sean, you play college. Like, what's your opinion? And I said, I know, I think he should play junior. Like he's, he's ready to play immediately. And I think it'll, he'll regress if he plays the same league he already did. And my dad goes, I feel the same way. And I remember my brother goes, for fuck's sakes, I could have had a fucking Corvette. Like, <laughs> he lost his shit. That's uh, awesome. Did he ever? Can out the swear. I don't know what the rules are. Oh, sure. no, I don't care. It's uh, We're just, okay. yeah. Uh, did he ever get his Corvette, though? Uh... Yeah, yeah, I don't know if he ever actually bought a Corvette. He's had <laughs> vehicles in his uh, life. Yeah, that's hilarious. So you were you were drafted in '91, right? So same year as Eric Lindros. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but what was interesting is because Brian Burke wrote the forward of your book, um, and he's the one he was the GM, right, at the time yeah. of uh, Vancouver. So, yeah. um, so obviously you've maintained some sort of relationship with him over the years. Um, what what was it about uh, you that he kind of saw? Because I I, I I find like Brian Burke's this interesting person. He looks like a miserable, uh, when you see him on screen, he's never smiling. He just looks like this unhappy, unkept kind of person. But I feel like deep down inside, he's got like a, like a big heart. Is that fair to say? Sure. He loves to give that persona. I think, um, you know, I mean, he, I mean, he is a big tough guy, but he's got a big heart too. Um, and he's one of those guys that, if, you know, if you're down and out, he's the kind of guy that would be, you know, offered to help pick you up. And, uh, you know, I I, th- I think very highly of him. I love that he, the character he plays on TV, basically, because he's yeah. But he's a, he's a great guy. He's been but great to our family. He's always nice to me, and, and whenever I see him, and you know, I, I haven't heard anybody actually speak ill of him. Maybe the media, but I, I mean, he doesn't really give a shit anyway. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of funny. Uh, there was a um, he spoke at when the Moose uh, became affiliated with the Canucks. So in my second stint in. Um, or actually, they just announced an affiliation with uh, the Moose. So I was still playing in the eye. Uh, and the next year, they're going to switch to the American League and be a farm team of Vancouver. He spoke at whatever event we we're doing. And so I think it was a charity event, but it was a big event. So There's a lot of people there. And, you know, at some point in the speech, he's like, you know, I, had the, I, I was uh, I drafted both Pronger brothers. I drafted Chris or Sean in Vancouver uh, back in 91. And I drafted Chris in uh, Hartford. Uh, at 93, and I guess you could say I'm uh, I'm hitting 50 percent for drafting him. <laughs> That's so, awesome. I, I think he's assistant, assistant GM in Vancouver, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Uh, okay. So you're you're drafted in 91. Um, just okay. I'm a, I'm a huge Oilers fan. So all of the all of the guys from the Oilers that you got to play with, Gretzky, 
um that was a like you played a full game with him is that right no, I had like a full on his line i had a full practice with him on his line and then i, I love, played a, I, I, had a, I had a couple of shifts with him uh in a, in a real game yeah uh, but yeah the practice you know as in my role a lot of times you look at practices like they're games because it might be the only time you get the, on the were ice. you hung over for that one yes i was yeah, I uh, um yeah, so my buddy, uh, another Dryden guy, Chris Hancock, um, we grew up together, you know, best friends. He was living in New York, working in New York, and I got traded to um to New York. And you know, the roster was like my like fucking all-star team. Like it was like you know, Kevin, you know, Wayne Gretzky, Brian Leach, Mike Richter, um, you got I mean all Samuelson, Jeff Bookham, all guys I grew up watching, John McClain, Kevin Stevens, Stevens, Adam Graves. You know, all these guys that I grew up watching, now I get to play with them. And so I was excited to get there. And then I get there and it's the same old shit. I'm scratched, you know, or I play two minutes or, I mean, fuck, there's a couple games I played zero. I yeah. literally, me, me and Manny Maholtra, when he was 18 at the time, we literally sat at the end of the bench and did not get on the fucking ice for one shift. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So anyway, I'm in another lineup and I'm out of the lineup and I'm just getting frustrated and I'm trying to keep a positive attitude. I'm trying to like, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm working out after I'm trying to stay ready. And finally I'm just like, fuck this. I'm in New York. My time, I don't know how much longer I got. So I remember me and uh, uh, Chris Hancock, we call him Herbie. Me and her, I call Herbie and I'm like, dude, let's go out tonight. So uh, we go out and we go deep. Uh, like only two driving guys in the big city can go. <laughs> and I remember we walked into a bar at like 1.30 in the morning meanwhile practice that's still at you know fucking nine right so we walked at right, 1 30 hammered and uh, i remember going to the, asking the bartender like where the after hours bars were and the, she goes do you mean after we close at 4 30 i'm like all right i think we're good here so we stayed till like 4 30 and up while well, i walked home got home at five slept till seven so i'm just i'm still half in the bag but i'm like well, what's the big deal i mean the, the the practice before i was playing fucking defense so i wasn't too worried about like you know I can get through practice. No yeah. one's going to get it. So I walk into the rink. Oh, fuck. I still have PTSD from this. I walk into the rink, get a coffee, grab my usual chocolate muffin. And uh, I go in the room and like, you know, it always has, it has the the equipment, you know, in the lockers and it has the jerseys kind of hanging over the gear. So you yeah. see just jerseys, right? So I walk in and just like, it was just a weird, like the colors weren't matching up, like the way they normally should match up. And I just, it was like somebody moved shit around. I'm like, what the fuck? And I see where my stall was, was, there was usually I'm like yellow, right? like the yellow jersey, um, the Tour de France. Um, and it's not, the yellow jersey's not there. So I'm like, oh, maybe they moved my shit somewhere. So I'm looking around. I'm like, I don't see my gear. My name tag's still there, but I had the red jersey on there. I'm like, well, that's Gretzky's line is red. So I grabbed, I didn't even, I just grabbed the jersey and I went to the trainer and I fucking threw it at him. I said, hey, dude, he gave me the wrong jersey. He grabs it and he throws it back at me. He goes, no, I didn't. You're practicing with Gretzky today. Kevin Stevens is sick. And I shit you not, my <laughs> like heart went in my throat. I'm like, oh, my God. So I'm like, now I'm like, fuck, what am I going to do? So I'm like, okay, go get your shit together. So I go in the shower, ice cold shower for like 10 minutes. I'm like slap myself in the face, get dressed, start stretching out. And I'm thinking, do I tell Gretzky or do I not tell Gretzky today? Hey, Wayne, Sean, you've been on your team for a couple months. You probably don't know me. I haven't fucking played. Um, or do I just kind of pretend like, you know, I've done this before, but anyway, so I go up to, I'm like, Hey, Gretz, uh, practically today. So I'm out with a buddy last night. So I'm a little bit hungover. He's like, no problem. Can't have been there myself. And so I'm like, all right. 
fucking right. So anyway, we go to practice. It's an absolute disaster. Um, I, I swear to God, I thought I was going to get sent down right after practice. Like I was playing I had a left-hand shot, playing the off wing, and Gretzky was completely fucking with me, like throwing me like just shitty passes. <laughs> I mean, the first pass he sent me went off my stick, off my backhand, over the glass. Yeah. So I got to fucking start the drill again. So it was a it was a comical. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so in hindsight, maybe uh, you shouldn't have told them that you were hungover. Probably not. Just the, there's yeah, less information is better sometimes. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in Red Deer, which is in between Calgary and Edmonton in the '80s. So, you know, I was an Oilers fan. Uh, so you got to play with with uh, with Gretzky, but you also um, I had a list here. Where's my list? Curry was on there. Doug Waite. Adam Graves, um, and then McTavish. You mentioned in your book um, that he was one of the coaches that you really admired. Assistant coach in New York. Yeah, yeah. he was great. He was so great. What about it? What like what what sort of uh, what what about him made you kind of make well, that just, comment? I think he understood where I was at. You know, I wasn't playing much, and he was trying to like, you know, as, as he would say, like he'd come down to bag skate me. Like so, I'm in New York, and you know, guys aren't playing. You get skated into the ground, right? Yeah. Try to keep you ready. And so he'd be like, hey, all right, prongs, let's go. And meet me and a couple other guys. And I'm like, I go, fuck, Mac, can we just, you know, dial it down? He goes, hey, I'm not doing it to you. I'm doing it for you. But he, you know what I mean? Like he, he yeah. was kept it light, even though it was a shitty job he had of like either telling you you're not playing or bag skating you. He kept it light. Like he, you know, was very like human about it where some coaches are like fucking robots and they don't give a shit. It's like, yeah. you're a fucking piece of meat, get on the fucking line or get the fuck out of here. You know, he was, he, I don't know, he had a human element to it where he understood, but he still like, he still tortured you, but he did it with a smile on his face. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I have nothing but great. He, he's, he's a hockey guy through and through and just a great human. And I loved um, his attitude. And he was a guy I could go talk to. And I went and talked to him like, I'm like, Mac, I want to play more. Like, what the fuck do I got to do? He's like, well, I mean, I know what he wanted to say. would be like, play better. Uh, yeah. He goes, well, go talk to Mux, John Muckler, the coach. So I got the fucking courage up and went and talked to him. And, you know, it wasn't going to matter, but he was, um, he was awesome. I remember one time we were in Carolina and uh, Todd Harvey was hurt, but so we, we did a pregame skate in Carolina. Harvey's got a bad thumb and what was probable for the game. So he gets off the ice. And so there's a couple of us left to get bag skated, but Matt, he goes, He's like, Prongs, I'm not going to skate you because you might go tonight because Harvey might not play. And I'm like, all right, Matt, I go, Mac. And I know and I know also, like, having another body out there matters to the guys getting skated into the ground. So I'm like, I felt like I'm leaving my wingman if I leave the practice early. So I'm like, Mac, I mean, what are the – I go, what are the chances of him not playing? He goes, ah, he'll probably play. I go, that's what I think. I go, and, and if I do play, it'll be like my usual three minutes. He's like, I don't know, but yeah. I go, oh, you know what? just fucking skate me. So skated me into the ground. I got, he skated us so long that I got to the pregame meal. There's no food left. So I literally had two bowls of ice cream was my pregame meal. I go back. My roommate's not playing. It's me and Chris Tamer. He's not playing. So we watched like two movies. I get to the rink. I don't do any of my normal shit. I fucking, I got, don't even tape my stick. I got my skates done loose. So because I'm fully expecting Harvey to play. And then, uh, Harvey comes off, Matt T comes up, comes up, he's like, prongs, you're going, and I almost shit my pants again. I'm like, fuck. 
So we go out, and it, but mind you, our team has we got on paper we looked really good, but we've been we haven't we couldn't win a game. I think we were like we lost five in a row or something like that. So in the lineup, and I played on the third line, so I played a lot. I had two fucking assists. Like we won the game, and I'm like shit. Maybe I've been doing this all wrong. <laughs> Ice <laughs> cream. Yeah, sure enough, so I, I I had two assists. We won the game, and I was scratched for the next five. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love how uh, so far your your meals you've described have been ice cream and chocolate muffins, which, by the way, they're cupcakes. They're not muffins. You can call right. them a muffin, but they're cupcakes. Right, right. Well, they got yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever makes you feel better. Um, yeah. So then um, where did you play with Curry? Uh, in Anaheim. Okay. Yeah, well, that, was, so, that was awesome. Yeah. So what, what's he like as a, you know, like, like um, it's one of those things, like, you know, do you really want to meet your hero? So, you know, meeting Gretzky and meeting Curry, like, what are those experiences like? Yeah, so uh, I met y- Yari was first when I played in Anaheim. And uh, I mean, probably one of the greatest guys I've ever met, like in hockey, like just a genuine, great human being, like love the game, like, you know, the passion, both him and Gretzky, the passion after the game is like, amazing even though like you look at them out there and you know they seem like they're always calm cool and collected they're passionate hockey guys and uh yari was amazing i mean i only played with them for half a year played on the line with them in the playoffs in anaheim which is i'm sure <laughs> disappointing for him it was a thrill for me um but just a great person and then gretzky yeah i mean i you know you hear the stories like never want to meet your idol but he was uh, nothing but awesome uh, to me. And he didn't have to be. I was like some fucking guy that's going to be not going to be around by the end of the season anyway. And he was an amazing teammate and just a great dude where like, I got traded from the Rangers to LA and he pulled me aside. He's like, Hey, when you get there, ask for Pete Miller, tell him I told you to say hi, you know, I'd take care of you. And, you know, he was just a fucking great dude. Nice. Um, now, not to not to throw anybody under the bus, obviously, um, and you do a good job of sharing stories in the book without without doing that. Um, but were there any were, were there any situations where maybe you you did meet someone that you had kind of looked up to that where they, you know, they didn't live up to their expect your expectations? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I mean, you know, I played with Yager in Pittsburgh in like '98. And he was still, you know, he was still, he was still, you know, I guess relatively young and, you know, spoke different language. And there was, we had the Czech mafia there at the time. It was like seven Czechs playing on the team. Oh, wow. So he didn't pay much mind, didn't like pay much attention, but I, he wasn't an asshole. He just like, I was kind of like, just, you know, just another body taking up space up there, uh, which I understand. Like, yeah, there's a lot of guys that came, came and went and I get like, Hey, what's the point? This guy's going to be gone. <laughs> so he kind of kept to himself and I think it was more just his personality than anything else. But yeah, I mean, he was, and I wasn't like going, you know, Oh my God, I can't wait to meet him. Like, cause you know, he's my age. So I wasn't like, it wasn't like I watched, I watched him for a couple of years and then I was playing with him. Um, right. But yeah, for the most part, no, like, you know, you know, hockey guys for the most part, at least back then are all good dudes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So the one story, I think this was on your second stint with Manitoba. I could be wrong. Um, but you were you uh you shared a story of BS uh Biesca. Sorry, yeah. why am I yeah Biexa. Uh, yeah Biexa. uh <laughs> he had just arrived and he got in a fight with uh um Feder Fedorov. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he got there the guys on like a I don't know a three-game trial or like basically signed with uh Manitoba for until the end of the year. And he, he came from my my college I played hockey at Bowling Green, so I felt like a 
you know, some sort of connection with him. And uh, you get started. Maybe I don't even know if you played a game yet. It might, or it might have been after. You know, I, can't, I can't remember exactly the, how it happened. But let's just, yeah, he played a game and they went to the bar after. And Federer and I think it was Kirill Koltsov, two Russian guys, were, I think, being assholes. And uh, BX, they went outside and BX had tuned up better, which he, that dude had it coming. Yeah. I just remember getting to the rink the next day. I went to Craig Heisinger. I go, I, go, well, I don't know who's in charge of what, but you got to sign this guy. <laughs> and so uh, it was awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, you know, BX obviously went on to have an amazing career, but um, yeah, that was a fucking funny. That was, that was funny. He still looks when you see him on CBC. He still looks feisty. Like he still looks but, like he'd oh, he's do got that. A, he's got an edge to him. It's yeah, it's he's, yeah, uh, character. Well, and yeah, like he, it would. But you know, most people, if that happened to them, they would. I mean, yeah, they would be shown the door the next day, right? So uh, is yeah, you gotta make sure you beat up the right guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Be like, because yeah. yeah. I mean, they're trying to kick him off the team. Like they couldn't get rid of him. Like they, he came, uh, I mean, let's just say he came to the game, one of the games before Christmas. Uh, I think it was a one o'clock game, not in great condition and yeah. played like shit. And they tried to like kick him off the team and they couldn't, they, they suspended him for like 10 games, I think. Yeah. And then they tried to trade him, but Berkey didn't want to trade him because he was, I mean, he was a super talent. Like this guy was an NHL talent. He just had like, like he was like Nukaluch, he had a million dollar runway with no control tower. Like he just could not think the game well, but he had all the skills. He's like six foot three, two hundred thirty pounds, skated, did everything great, but just could not like play hockey like the yeah. way it's supposed to be played. Um, and so I think Berkey was a like, gun shy to trade him, and then he'll go score thirty goals on some other. Totally, team. yeah. So, we got stuck with him again, and then yeah, Jackson pounded on him. Because that does happen. Like, didn't Brett Hall? He played for Calgary at one point, yeah. right? And then he got traded yeah, for yeah, a bag of pucks. This happens, you know, every once in a while, and it, GMs become gun shy. They don't want to be on the other, the wrong side of a trade like that because they look like a fool. Yeah, totally. So, outside of your NHL career, you played in the AHL, a few other leagues. Um, you played a lot of time. Well, you played sometime in Knoxville, yeah. Which uh, I was laughing because I'm like, I can't imagine, you know, what like. So I mean, maybe even contrast the two. What is Knoxville like versus like, you know, Winnipeg kind of thing? It must be like a 180. It is like the fans in Knoxville love like the physical play. They love the effort. They love like the like the fighting, the hitting, and like the 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 scoring, like the, the parts of the game where they get to cheer, like they drink, like. You know, everybody's drunk in the building. Like they got that football type mentality, right? They like the like because they love football there. Um, and you know, Winnipeg, they're passionate fans, but they're also, I would say, you know, a lot more educated in the game of hockey. <laughs> right. so they, have, they voice their opinions a lot sooner uh, if they're not happy as well. So you know, they understand the game a lot better. Uh, but I think both places respect physical play, effort, and all that kind of stuff. They just they're a little bit more in tune to the finer points of the game and can, you know, sharpshoot if anything's not going right. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. So one of the things that you mentioned in the book and that I can, you know, I, I could really feel is, you know, there's, there's a group of, of, of journeymen uh, similar to yourself and they're, they're all going through the same experience at the same time. And, you know, there's, there's times where you're, you're uh, sent down, there's 
times that you're they're sent down or brought up or what have you. Um, I guess, do you, do you really grow? Um, do you, do you become tight with those people in that you can relate to what they're feeling, the ups and downs? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's funny when I was in Columbus because it was a, basically a team made up of those guys. You know, they're all, I mean, they're good hockey players. A lot, you know, I would say like they're real NHLers, uh, but they're all like, you know, not protected in the expansion draft. Like they're kind of, you know, just discarded. Um, and, you know, guys that have played for a bunch of different teams, you kind of just get to, you, you know, you learn about guys and hear about guys and like, oh, I heard that guy's a great guy, a great guy. And usually they're all great guys because if they weren't, then they'd just be out of the league. Any, you know, it's like mm-hmm. you're a good player, but you're not good enough to be an asshole uh, and still play on our team. So they're usually <laughs> all great dudes. And hockey guys, for the most part, are great guys anyway. Um, but, yeah, there's a certain, like, kind of um, sense of, like, camaraderie with guys that have gone through it, especially guys that have, you know, you think of guys that have been in Myers a long time and all of a sudden they, 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 they hang on long enough and, and they eventually make it and have a great career in the NHL. Like those are the guys that I really admire because it's so much easier just to say, fuck this. And like you quit or go just go to your, you know, go play in Europe or whatever. Um, but the guys like, you know, stick to it and stick through it. Um, I got a, a lot of respect for that. Cause I know I haven't been there. It's not easy. You had no one that believes in you. And you, you know, so you got to believe in yourself and your family believes in you, but that's, it's a very tight uh, group um, or they're, they're around you that support you. And everybody else is kind of like, you're just kind of a cast off. So the, the guys that kind of to get, can fight through that. Um, I have a lot of respect for. And so speaking of Europe, you spent a year in Germany. Is that right? Yes. You don't speak very highly of, uh, of your time there. <laughs> I'm trying to put up, I'm trying to, um, come to terms, make amends with that time <laughs> of my life. But that was one of the most frustrating years of my life. I was, I don't know what it was. I, it was just everything that could go wrong, went wrong. I was felt like I was swimming upstream the entire year. And I, you know, I talked to a lot of guys that were there. So we had like 12 um, North Americans on our team. And it was, uh, they said, everybody goes through it. It was just, it was just really hard on me because I'd spent 10 years kind of in the, you know, North America, like a lot of it in the NHL where you come to just expect certain things from the team, you know, whether it's help finding a place, help getting your kids in school, you know, just shit like little things that make your life on the ice easier by dealing with your life off the ice. You know what I mean? So they didn't do shit, give a shit. Everything was like in slow motion. Like, like everything was in slow motion. The apartment we moved into was a shithole. Um, and it just, that was like the beginning. And then it just kind of went downhill from then. And I was playing like shit. And so just all bad. And I've never been, never been more frustrated in my life. Um, and it, got, it came to a head uh, later in the year. I, like, I, I think I was driving to the rink and somebody like honked, gave me the finger, told me to fuck off. And I was just like, that's it. So I came to the rink and I took my jacket off and I challenged every German on our team. I said, I don't give a shit. I'm tired of you fucking Germans. One of you guys stand up. Let's go right now. And I was like half joking, but half serious. Like, I, you know, they're my teammates. I'm not going to fucking fight them, but I just had it. And behind me, our trainer goes, I'll fight you. And it's our six foot four trainer who's a boxer. Yeah. I'm like, oh, fuck. So we square off. And I'm like still half joking. And I think he thinks I'm joking, but I'm like, so like, I'm, we're still standing there. And I go to throw like a fake punch. As I'm doing it, he like leans in. I don't know what he was doing, but he le- leaned in and I connected like right in his eye socket. Oh. He goes down on one knee and now I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm dead. 
And so he gets up and I just give him a big hug. And I'm like, oh, thanks, buddy. I needed that. He goes, here you are. He goes, all right, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> but oh my God, it was awful. And that, yeah, it was, and it was a combination of just where I was at in life. I had two young kids, got, you know, careers winding down. I'm playing like shit. Everything around me sucks. And it was just, yeah, it was frustrating. I mean, I could not get out of there fast enough. Yeah, uh, that's too bad. Um, so when you look at what one of the things when I was reading your book that how I related to it was I've always been an entrepreneur and I feel like, you know, as a, as an entrepreneur, you're, you're always grinding, right? You're always, you know, you're always kind of, and you have some ups and you have some downs. Um, did you have a way of, you know, and one of the things I'm really interested in is, is what people do on a day-to-day basis to just be prepared as, you know, as, as much as possible, um, for, for what they want to do. So, for you to to get an eleven year career, what what did you do um, to make sure that you were always ready? Like, did you have daily habits? Did you have a process? I, uh, you know, I, I did. I I didn't know it at the time. Um, and I think what what it, what over the course of my career, what I learned was to focus on the things that you can control. Because there's so many things, especially when you're like a grinding journeyman, like I was. There's so many things that are out of your control and so many things you can get caught up in that just are going to distract you. Like whether it's going to training camp and you know, you, you get three days worth of meal money, but your buddy gets seven days worth of meal money. It's like, fuck. So I'm gone in three days. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like shit like that. You can get caught up in and like, just be like, get down on yourself. So just like, okay, what can I control? I control what I eat. And I know I've mentioned ice cream and chocolate muffins or what do you call them fucking cupcakes yeah um, yeah let's be you know, I, you know, I did take care of myself i did eat right tried to get sleep you know i you know, had my body as good a shape as i can get in and then just tune everything else out like all the shit that i could control i, I learned to tune out and just focus on like having a great practice like taking it like what literally one step at a time and not looking like okay in two weeks uh i hope i'm on the team to go do you know, it's like okay do i have a jersey in my stall today perfect I'm going to go and fucking crush today and then mm-hmm. worry about tomorrow when it comes here. And, and so that's what I would do. And you kind of get really short term focused and doing all the little things that I can control that I can do. I just keep doing it over and over again. And so that's yeah. what I learned. It, it, it's helped me kind of, you know, outside of the rink as well, just in, in kind of, you know, I hate to say in the real world, but in like work, you know, non-hockey life. Yeah. And so with, so your career, as it was winding down, you got called up to the Canucks, correct? And yes. you were, how long did you play with the Canucks? For, for a week. And was, <laughs> but that was a crazy week, hey? It was a very, very crazy week. Uh, yeah, I got called up. Um, we played Detroit, my first game in Detroit. Then the next night was in Columbus and flew back to Vancouver. And then we ended up playing Colorado. And that was the game where Bertuzzi uh, smoked Steve Moore. That was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been. And was that the last NHL game that you played? It was the last NHL game. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, that that would have been. Uh, well, that's a memorable. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you never know what's going to be your last, and I certainly, I mean, I, I knew it was going to be one of my last, but yeah, I, I didn't know it at the time. Uh, but that was a crazy night, and uh, you know, obviously, unfortunate ending and just insanity, insane. Yeah. It was yeah. Crazy. No kidding. Well, you speak about it in the book and uh, I think you you give it a good perspective. Um, one of the chapters that you that you wrote about, uh, we were talking about it before we hit the record button here, but uh, when, when your daughter was born, 
Um, and so I have two daughters. And so as I'm reading this, um, I was actually awake before my wife and kids. So I'm sitting in my living room reading the book and uh, getting emotional. I was thinking, oh, my God, if my kids come down right now, they're going to be like, what the hell is wrong? You're reading a book about hockey. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, just uh, yeah, it was really cool the way you, you opened up about that. Um, I don't know. Do you want to just maybe talk about that a second? you're happy to um you know i was uh you know having not had a child before so this is our first child and you know my uh wife was um on she's on bed rest for part of her pregnancy then off it and so there, i guess there's indications that something might be complicated but it uh you know we went to get went to the hospital to get induced that night uh, and so, you know, we're, it's one in the morning, the next, you know, they gave her the tablet. And so whatever, I guess eight hours later, you like, they start the process and whatever. Uh, so it was like one in the morning and I'm laying like half asleep and uh, in comes the night nurse that's kind of monitors the things. And she comes in and checks on the, the I guess the, the, the monitor for the heartbeat of the child, of the baby was dropping. So she thought, okay, well, the monitor slipped off. And so she came in. And adjust it, and then all of a sudden, there's like six doctors in the room, and it's like getting starting to get really intense. And I and I'm like, no one's saying shit to me. It's like I'm not even there, and I'm just thinking this is just regular. There's like this is just a regular fucking what they do at the hospital to, for the babies. So all of a sudden, they get the one doctor's got her hand up, uh, Marnie, and um, now they're like, okay, this baby's coming. And I'm like, all right, let's fucking go. So they start running down the hallway and I'm running after them. I'm like, oh, wow, they don't fuck around here. So I never thought anything was wrong until they went into the room, like the surgery room and wouldn't let me go. Cause I did, I think the one Lamaze class we were at was basically, because we only went to one, was um, if there's any, any issue, there's any serious issues, they do not let the father in because they didn't want any distractions. So when they didn't let me in, I'm like, oh my God, what the fuck? And it's one in the morning and it's a ghost town. It's like I have a movie. There's no one there. There's no one at the front desk. There's no one there. So I just sat there for like 20 minutes, just losing my shit. Called uh, Marnie's uh, mom and dad, said, hey, the baby's coming. But that was, I called them before I realized like it, this is a serious situation. So then the night nurse comes out and just walks right past me. And I'm like, anything you want to tell me? She's like, your wife's doing great. No, your wife's doing fine. I'm like, and she's like, and the doctor will be right out. And my like heart and my throat, I'm like, oh fuck. So the doctor comes out. It's a, it's a woman. Uh, she comes out. She's got like a welding mask on, uh, one of those clear whatever they're called. And uh, she pulls me into a room. She's like, listen, we did the best we could. And this hospital was a high risk hospital. They had a surgical team on site. Um, and so she pulled me in and she said, listen, we did the best we could. You know, we had that baby out in like 15 minutes and I, I don't know what to tell you. We did the best we could. And I'm like, okay, so what is the, is the baby dead? She's like, no, but it doesn't look good. And I'm like, holy fuck. And then um, the my pediatrician that we've had, he drove from his house, came to the thing. He's like a little Greek man. So he's got a mask on. He speaks broken English. He's about four foot two. And he's trying to tell me what's going on. And it felt like I just kept feeling like 
they try to protect themselves against a loss, the way they're speaking, like mm-hmm. we did everything we could, you know, the blah, 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 blah. I'm just like, what the fuck? I go, is, is, is she alive? Yes. And I remember, I'll never forget this. He's like, she's alive, but it might be better if she doesn't make it because she's going to be severely brain damaged. I'm just like, oh my God. And now I'm thinking, oh fuck, I can't. Marty doesn't even know. She got knocked out for this. She's out like in the recovery room. They wheel, so my daughter's name is Kaya. They wheel her past me and she looks absolutely, she's in an incubator. She looks perfect. And I'm like, fuck. So they take her up to intensive, you know, radio intensive care, NICU. And I'm just like, my mind's just doing dumb shit now. I'm just like, oh fuck, what are we gonna do with the crib? I put all that shit together. What do we do? Like, I was just like thinking like a dumbass. I think it's like a defense mechanism so you don't like deal with the shit, right? And mm-hmm. so um, now I'm like, okay, well, I got to tell Marnie. How am I going to tell Marnie? And then her, then her, 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 it's funny now, but like at the time it was fucking horrific. Um, and her mom and dad walk in at, at that time, like, so that, so, so she, Marnie came to the doctor uh, is says, okay, well, I'm going to tell her. I go, well, doc, why don't you let me tell her? Cause she's just coming out of like getting knocked out and you, your English sucks. So let me, he goes, no, I have to. I'm like, all right, fine. So he's like, t- he tries to explain it to her and she's like, you know, can you imagine like what it's like getting woken up out of a 12 hour sleep and then have someone whispering through a fucking mask at you. Like, she's like, what, what? what? So I'm like, Marnie, this is happening. She's like, I don't understand. I don't understand. I go like, I don't either. I'm going to figure, I'll find out what's happening, but this is where we're at. And she was confused. She fall back. She falls back asleep. Her mom and dad come in. I break the news to her mom, who's like from Portugal. So imagine like an old European woman just losing her shit. She's like kicking trays over, like knocking chairs, throwing shit. Like it was absolute bedlam in there. And then her dad, like to this day, I don't even know if he took her to the church, like in the in the hospital or the fucking pharmacy. I don't know which one he took, what happened. But um, so they left. She came back calm. And then I went upstairs and started grilling the nurses like okay what's going on like what what are you looking for like is there, did she have a chance so this is the next 24 hours are critical you know we're, we're looking for seizures if she has a seizure that means something's wrong with the brain i'm like okay okay so all right so we still we have a chance here she's like yes you have a chance i would say it's not very good it's not very likely but you have a chance and so she started off in the nicu they have like different levels like it's like a b c a is the worst and you hope that you graduate to the other letters uh, and then you eventually get discharged. But like there were babies in there that would never, they'll, they'll never get out of there. And it's just, it's an awful place. And the nurses there, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine like what type, I mean, they're amazing people like to do that every day and see oh, what they do what they do. It's like, like it's, I mean, just they're the fuck they're saints. And, and I was a, like, I wasn't an asshole, but I was just like, okay, give it to me straight. Do not, do not sugarcoat it. Tell me everything that you know that, and, and they were like, Mr. Frogger, we can't give you any false hope. So we're going to tell you exactly what's going on. I'm like, I appreciate it. So over the course of time, like she went from A to B to C to D in like a week. And like on the seventh day, the, the, the woman surgeon that came out with the mask on, she came up into these like innate tests. And it's just like what, like what mammals do like sur- their natural survival instincts. Like if you rub their cheek, they turn that way. If you grab a certain way, they like cling to you. And so she was looking for these innate uh, abilities in Kaya. And so she's doing the shit. And like, Marty and I were like watching. And then she does all these tests. And then she's like, 
I don't know what to say. If I wasn't there when this kid came out, I wouldn't think it's the same kid. She is good. You can take her home. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God, what a fucking relief. It was amazing. And now, fast forward, now, 20 years later, she's a junior in college. It's amazing. Wow, that's so crazy. And like I said, I like when when I was telling you it was a page turner of a book, like I couldn't start that chapter and not see how it finished. You know what I mean? I'm just like, oh, please tell me this kid. Okay. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah. I thought this was supposed to be a funny book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, no, but I'm I'm glad you put that in there for sure. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was just the process of writing a book, because I'm I'm sure, you know, there's been a lot of people after a few beers that are like, yeah, I, I'm going to write a book. And, um, and it seems like a good idea after, you know, a couple beers, but uh, you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, fuck, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, and, and to do a book properly, I think is a lot of work. So did you, you know, looking back at it, did you learn things from your, from your playing career that kind of helped you? Um, Cause like you said, like day by day, you know, um, is that the process that you use for the book is just that same mentality? Yeah. I mean, I, the, the discipline that you need to kind of get to the NHL, I mean, I, I think that certainly helped in doing the book. Um, and I think it's also the commitment, like, um, like you have to be committed to do it. Like it's, you can't, you can't like, Hey, if I get time, I'm going to do it. It's like, you can either do it or you can't yeah, like, totally. you can't just be like, you know what, if I get a spare hour in here, like, cause I could tell you, after you know working and then you got kids and family shit the last thing you want to do is go to your room and like start writing shit it's like fucking exhausting so it's mine started off like really innocently in that you know chris had a website and was basically looking for content and so after six months of like convincing me to do it he finally wrote something that piqued my interest where he wrote something his experience with training camp was basically he wrote about what it's like to be a superstar at training camp (laughs) and i'm like oh fuck that uh, let me share with you what it's like to be a grinder in training camp. And so that's how it started off. It started off as a bunch of blogs on his site. And then as I was doing, I'm like, well, my whole first year pro was kind of like, was kind of a lot. And it was almost like therapeutic for me to write it out. And it was right, written like raw, like just six blogs back to back to back. So I was going to post them like on a site just every once a month or once a week or whatever. And so I wrote it all out. My first year pro as just this raw blog and I went and saw my buddy, Dan Murphy in Vancouver there for the Olympics in 2010. And, you know, we're having drinks one night and I said, Hey, why don't you read this? And so I let him read it, let his wife read it. And they're like, Sean, I don't know. There's something there. It's funny. It's like, I didn't know all this stuff. Cause you know, I never read about books about like the guy that's just trying to get there. Right. It's usually like Wayne Gretzky or Sidney Crosby or, yeah. you know, like the superstars usually to the time there wasn't books about, I think there was one baseball one, like it was called like uh, baseball gospel, gospel, baseball diary, or basically a guy said a relief pitcher or something like that. It was like a journeyman pitcher and he wrote something um, that would be similar, but I think I was one of the few guys that had like, okay, this journeyman guy. Um, and so Murph came across, met an eight uh, book agent and the book agents knew that Murph was, you know, worked for the Canucks. It's like, Hey, if you come across any, you know, interesting book ideas, let me know. And Murph thought of me, put us in touch. And so he then walked us through the process of how you go about getting a book or, you know, getting a, um, or submitting it to publishers to get a book deal. Um, and so I, luckily I had a framework of a book, basically just on all the blogs I had. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I wrote one, I had one chapter, which was my first year pro. And then I did uh, one with Gret- the Gretzky, basically when I was on the Rangers and then obviously the Gretzky name is going to carry a lot of weight. So he's like, let's use that chapter. You, what you do is you submit a chapter 
and then just the basically the title of the other an outline of the other chapters mm. and so we kind of had that submitted it and we had two offers and then then once it's like okay we accept an offer now it's real because like now we got to fucking deliver yeah and that's where it became a job and that and it was it was um it was actually fun to write about um because i got to do it from a safe place but it's also i learned what i learned from it is you need to write something every day so that the next time like he'll be complete dog shit but the next day you have something to work off of right if you wait until you go oh i got it now then it's it, you're not gonna be able to do it you gotta do something every day um and have a discipline to do it every day because then you're working on like you'd be like oh fuck i like that and then no and i also think you'd have a writing partner because me and murph did it together so where i'd write it out just raw just fucking threw it on the paper he would like kind of clean it up but he also like okay who else was there? You're like, you know, need more names and like describe like this and put more meat on the bone here. And, and so then he'd send it back and I sent it back to him. Then we'd send it to the editor. And so we had like a process, but it's like, it's not like just write it out. It's like a fucking, it takes a while. Like it took a while to get it out. And then we, we got it. We did it the way we like, we did it basically like in themes. Like, what's it like getting sent down? What's it like getting called up? What's it like getting traded? What's it like getting this? What's it like getting hurt? All that shit. And then, the editor is reading it. He goes, I, I don't know where you are. Like one day you're in Pittsburgh. Next thing you know, you're <laughs> back in Anaheim. So we had to like basically take it apart and put it back together in chronological order. Right. Right. You're like, I don't know what to tell you, man. I was in a lot of places. It was a Dude, busy 10 years. Out of me. Like, what the fuck do you want from me, man? Yeah. <laughs> no, but you can tell that you put a lot of, you put a lot of effort into the book. And, you know, like you said, like most books are, you know, the Gretzky's and uh, the Curry's, that type of thing, or it's, you know, glorifying maybe the fighting and stuff like that. But there wasn't really that that glorification at all either. And it's just a really honest, like, this is, you know, this is what it's like for a, for a journeyman um, to, to spend, you know, to, to have a career. Um, and I like your point too, of the, the fact that, you know, if you're going to be a journeyman, you better not be an asshole because you can't be both of those things. Right. <laughs> not a chance. Yeah. Like you can even like, I argue like if you're just good, you can't be an asshole. Like unless, you know, unless you're like a real prick on the ice too, that could be helpful. But like, <laughs> you gotta be a good dude. Like you gotta yeah. play hard ice, obviously whatever role you are, but yeah, you gotta be a good dude, a good guy to yeah. be around. And I, well, I mean, <laughs> that should be just, you know, in general in I mean, life, you know, being right. an asshole. I mean, certain personalities, like to be an asshole and like it's hard to be the nice guy off and an asshole on like it's a really right. like rare trait so and i get those guys um but you know because you need guys with an edge out there that stir shit up draw penalties and that usually a certain personality right so it's hard to like completely flip the switch but you still have to be a good teammate so you never got to play with S.A.T. Kinnan? I don't know. That's yeah, the kind of guy. Did you? Did you? He seems like the kind of guy that can flip the switch and oh be an asshole if needed. Nut, he's a nut job. He's awesome. Yeah. yeah. He, this guy, like, I don't know. He, how would he do? He would go to practice. So this is his day. Goes to practice. Goes home. Sleeps for like five hours. Yeah. Goes out till like midnight. Then sleeps for five hours. Like he, he like slept two different big sleeps and would... <laughs> party and play like that's his like fucking world yeah he was a legend that guy there was but, i remember years ago now that we're talking about it, i think he was playing in new york i could be wrong but he was injured he wasn't allowed to be on the ice and he dressed up as a goalie just to get on the ice and then halfway through the practice they realized that it was esoteek and in net and they fucking yanked him out 
Sounds like him. I mean, he was a beauty. Yeah, I played with his, his second stint in uh, New York. I, I don't think he, I think he was a second, or maybe the, the one that carried over from when he uh, was there uh, earlier on. But yeah, yeah, he was he was a character. My God, that's awesome. Um, so what are you doing? What are you doing now? You're living in California, you'd mentioned. Yeah, I live in Newport Beach. Um, I work in uh, like real estate investment world. I'm a sales guy. So I'm still, I'm still a journeyman. You know, I just do, I just don't get punched in the face. <laughs> That's right. So how did you, how did you transition? Like, how did you find the transition? Because one thing that I'm, I'm really fascinated um, about as well is, is the concept of, of um, roles. And so when people are defined as something, um, so when you're defined as an athlete, you know, and then you retire and then suddenly you're not an athlete anymore. And so it's just like this, this role that's defined you for your entire life now doesn't exist. And I know, or I feel like a lot of athletes have, have trouble with that transition. Did you find that to be troubling? I mean, not so much. I think, you know, if I was, uh, you know, the star of the team, then the transition might be a little more difficult because you're like, you know, you're the loved one. Whereas, you know, I'm just kind of the guy, you know, filling in the spot for the, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, what, what I struggled with, what I wish if I go, what I tell anybody that'll ask me and, and any guys that are transitioning is like, uh, what I did completely wrong is I didn't live in the area that I was going to end up living. In. So like in the summer, I went back to Dryden, which I loved. Mm. I love it. Like love fishing and golfing. And, you know, I worked out there. I got to see all the friends and family. I love that. But I wasn't building a network of people. So I wasn't going to, I knew I wasn't going to live in that. So I wasn't building a network of people um, in the community, whether the business, like whatever, business people, mentors, whatever. So then when I retired, it was just like, fuck, what do I do now? Yeah. No one to guide me. And luckily, you know, a really good friend of the family helped um, kind of steer me to this industry. But it took like a year and a half of like stumbling around to figure it out. Um, and, you know, and to your point, like losing your identity as an athlete, I think that's, that is real. Um, when you've been known your whole life as that, and you got to make now make a little bit more effort to go out and meet people because people, when you're an athlete, like especially if you're an elite athlete, they want, they'll come to you. They want to meet you. They want to see you. They want to talk to you. But then when you're just a regular schmuck, you got to figure out, Oh, I, I have to go talk to somebody. I got to go over there. I got to make an effort. Like you're not used to it. And right. so it's, that can be challenging for, for people making, making the jump. And so one thing I noticed in the book as well is that you seem to actually have a genuinely good relationship with your brother. Um, I have two brothers, so I know just how annoying brothers can be in general. But um, you guys always seem to have like you're the older brother. You really seem to be supportive of him through his career as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it'd probably be a different relationship if we were very like close in sort of like our careers or talent level, but you know, when he's so he's one of the top players of all time. And so it's been just fun to watch that, like literally the journey of that and be and see it from like ground zero to where he ended up was awesome. And cause I do get that question a lot. Aren't you jealous? I'm like, I'm jealous of like the fucking skill he had, the way he played like that's like, I remember playing a game. Um, I was with Boston played an exhibition game against St. Louis in like Worcester. And, uh, you know, when I'm on the ice, it looks like there's a thousand bodies running around at hundred miles an hour. It's like, Holy fuck. But then you watch him play and everything just like slows down. Mm -hmm. Like he saw, like he, I'll never read this play. He literally is backing up with the puck and he saucered it over the head of the oncoming, like four checker. 
right on the tape of like the centerman cutting through the middle. Yeah. And then on the bench going, what the fuck am I supposed to, are we supposed to keep with that? And so like, is that, that's such a high level, like a, yeah. like a few players are that it was just, just, it was just admiration for how we played and just kind of fun to, to kind of be dragged along and be a part of it and see all, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. So, like, you know, Bill, we, behind the scenes on how like a hall of famer progressed from him, you know, he was just, you know, snotting those little punk basically to like, you know, a superstar. It was just fun. It was just fun to be a part of him. You know, he made sure that all the boys that we all grew up together got to get, get to enjoy the ride. So was there a certain age where you realized, okay, I should be nice to him because he can beat the shit out of me now? Yeah, I get that question a lot too. And I, I don't know the exact age, but it was, um, you know, because I did pound on him a lot uh, when he was younger. Um, but yeah, I don't know what the age, but he was bigger than me, obviously. And uh, probably a couple, you know, a couple of years into his pro days, yeah, <laughs> it was like, you know what, it's, it's getting to the point now where I don't know if I'm going to win. I'm just going to fucking dial it back. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. So um, I don't know. I'm sure beers were involved, but Bill, uh, my business partner, um, we, we had mentioned also grew up in Dryden, uh, convinced you to come to Jasper and hang out with us uh, for the Jasper Beer and Spirits Festival. That's this February. Um, so I'm excited to meet you in person. Um, are you are you still planning on joining us? I, I'm I'm coming. If I'm t- if I say I'm coming, I'm coming. Buddy. I love it. No, we're we're so excited to have you. Um, I you know, again, based on the stories in your book, you do enjoy beer. So it should be a pretty good fit. Um, a lot of your stories are kind of pre craft beer revolution. Have you, have you, um, joined the, the craft beer revolution? Do you I, enjoy, it? I enjoy the craft. I probably don't dress like a craft beer drinker. I don't, <laughs> I don't know I don't what the know. hell that's supposed to mean. I'm a wearing a black t-shirt. <laughs> I have a ponytail or a fucking mustache, but like, I, I do like craft beer, usually on the lighter side, not too like too much yeah. like, too hoppy, but, um, and that's a great thing with that. There's always something, you know, something for somebody. So I am excited to come there. I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Shit. Um, yeah. So no, really, it's it, it's going to be awesome. Now I did want to warn you. Um, it's pretty fancy there. So I, I know you have a green blazer, uh, <laughs> that you've worn in a few of your, uh, more memorable situations yeah. in life. So maybe bring the green blazer if you get an opportunity. I might have to, I might have to dig it up. Oh shit. Sorry, dude. I'm running, running out of batteries here. Oh no, oh. I'll get, I'll, I'll let you go. But uh, like I said, uh, so this is the book. I don't know if people can see that, but, um, yeah, like for me, it was, it was, um, it was awesome. It was a page turner. I think I got through it in a weekend, which is a kind of a record for me. Um, but like I said, I apply it to, um, my life as an entrepreneur. And I think, uh, it's, it's very relatable. Um, you obviously use a lot of humor in it, but, uh, really well done. Um, thanks for taking the time to kind of share your story and yeah, for anybody who's coming to Jasper, get to meet you in person. I'm sure there'll be many more stories, uh, told over beers. Perfect. Yeah. I can't awesome. wait. I'm to it. Yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Man. Okay. It. Thanks, Sean. Sure. Okay. Take it. care.